After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. If you were wondering how long it might take for teams to ramp up the intensity after having a lengthy all-star break, you know, get ready for the final third of the season, Josh, we got our answer. The answer is very quickly because game one after the break between the Rangers and the Calgary Flames, the intensity was about a 13 out of 10, I think. Oh, man, it was it was a playoff game. It was like a, a game six, game seven type atmosphere almost. It was such a great game from start to finish. You had controversy, you had crazy goals, you had some outstanding play, fights, hits. It was a whole lot of fun. Figured they'd be coming out of the All-Star break, shaking the rust off. But no, those teams were ready to play. Controversy? Really? Where? I don't recall it. <laughs> it I guess it does pop up occasionally across the league. I mean, the, the rule book is a lengthy document. So I guess you're occasionally you're going to have the odd question in here or there. So that's why we have the Scouting the Rest podcast. So please make sure you're following us on the social channels. Josh is, of course, at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. You'll get me at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. Okay, on this week's episode, Truba, Trucks, Kadri, Blay, Blindsides, Lucic, Sticking Up for Your Teammate, Kicked In Goals, No Helmets During Warm-Ups, and Hey, Shouldn't That Be a Penalty? How's that for intrigue? Look at all the wonderful gifts that the Rangers and Flames have bestowed upon us this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's kind of go with uh, the, the easy stuff first. Sure. Couple of things. I sent you a text. I turned on the NHL skills competition and noted that nobody was wearing a helmet. Kale McCarr even wiped out during the skills competition. You were on the fact that Jamie Benn skated in his 1000th game. Congratulations to him. It's a fantastic accomplishment. And his teammates, it was a lovely and nice tribute to slick back the hair and not wear the buckets. But isn't there a rule about that during warm-up? There is. The NHL snuck that one in on us. It wasn't something that was publicized or even announced, but they have gone ahead and mandated that helmets be worn during warm-ups. I get it. It makes sense. Sure, you want to see the players. You want to let them be visible without the helmets, see the guys, see their faces. It helps market the game, so I totally get that. But the league put this rule in place because of safety concerns. There's the possibility of getting hit in the face with a puck. We saw that with Brad Marchand. You could have an errant stick. You could also fall, suffer a head injury. Unfortunately, you know, we lost referee Butch Mousseau a few years back, just skating, fell back, hit his head. So those types of things, those injuries, which, which can be potentially life-threatening as we saw, that's what happens when you don't have a helmet on out there. It's ice. It's dangerous. It's slippery. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of players in motion, pucks in motion, but... That's why the league put in the rule, why they chose not to enforce it or, or why it didn't apply in these circumstances. Again, I get it. All-star game. I get it. Jamie Benn, we want to honor the guy, but you're still putting these guys at risk. 
Yeah, selective enforcement is is kind of uh, a, a gripe of many. And another time they don't wear helmets is usually during the winter classic, but at least they wear toques then, don't they? <laughs> well, I guess there's a little bit of padding in there. You just strap on the toque nice and hard. And, uh, you know, if it falls off, you got to head to the bench. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like your suggestion too. Chin straps on the toques. That'll be a good look. Okay, let's get into this Rangers and Calgary game because there's a bunch of situations that we should really be talking about here. And I want to deal with one first before we get to Jacob Truba, and that is with Sammy Blay, who hunted down Milan Lucic as he was skating through the neutral zone and absolutely laid out the big man. And this, of course, results in players pairing up, who did what to whom, and everybody pairs off. There were fighting majors that were handed out to Will Cooley and Mackenzie Wieger and uh, roughing minor, I believe, to, to Lucic. Now, the original call was a major penalty and then reviewed and rescinded because there was no head contact by Sammy Blay. So first off, good for the officials for doing that properly, going through the process and then realizing no head contact. This is not a penalty. Absolutely. That's what the review process was intended to do. It looked like a a potentially bad hit, scary hit when you saw him come across and you see the player go down, you see him. He looked like he was okay coming up from it, but you certainly don't want to take any chances. So I totally get the call and I'm glad they were able to take a second look and review it. Now, <laughs> one thing that came out of it other than the review was the the scrum that happened afterwards and, and the, the mess of penalty minutes, as you mentioned. But nope, the officials got the call right on this play and we want hard hits. You want good, clean hits. And sometimes just because it's a clean hit or it's not a penalty doesn't mean opposing teams don't take exception. Let's go through our course review a little bit, too, because once again, the phrase blind side hit was used by many when discussing this hit, either on social media or in person. But there is no such phrase in the rule book any longer. There is not. The blind side portion of the rule was removed for illegal checks to the head. So that's the first part of it is that being a blind side hit has no bearing. Even if it was still in the rule book, as blindsided as this was, without head contact, we wouldn't be looking at a penalty. So you're allowed to blast a guy from the side as long as everything else about the check is legal. You don't have an elbow. You know, he was eligible to be checked on the play and you avoid head contact. It's a legal hit. And, and this one was a good one. So, yeah, the fact that it was blindside was irrelevant to this call. I will say, Todd, the, the visual of watching the referees review the call. They're they're looking at the play. You've got Brandon Schrader and Kelly Sutherland with the iPad right there in front of the Rangers penalty box with the door open right in front of Sammy Blay. It was it was a, <laughs> a funny moment of watching them decide if he's if he's picking up a major penalty or if he's getting out of jail free and which was the case. But just a, a funny moment watching them like two feet away from him as he's watching them review his hit. The other note about this situation is we give huge props to referee Kelly Sutherland, who is great at communicating with players out on the ice. You always hear him talking to players, but what he performed was no less than a master class in announcing the review, the, the penalty that was initially called, then it was changed upon review and then rattled off the rest of the penalties. More of this, please. We need more of this, please. This should be played at the officials training camp next fall. This is how you're supposed to do it. Absolutely. And it's it's not that we're asking for anything crazy. And as you mentioned, this is one of Sutherland's strengths. I mean, he's he's talking all game long. If you hear his voice, if you find any of the clips on him mic'd up online and just listen during the game, if he's working, you will hear him. 
the entire game. And he's letting players know what's going on. He's talking to the benches. And in this case, he was talking to the crowd. And it was it was perfect. Here was the call on the ice. Here was the situation. Here's what the review was. Here's the outcome of the review. And then here are the penalties we are calling. So there was no question whether it was the broadcasters, the fans in the stands there. They all knew exactly what was happening. They understood what was reviewed, what the outcome was. And I think Sutherland, as you mentioned, that was a masterclass there. Every official, every NHL referee should take note and do their best to emulate what Sutherland did in this game. Because if all explanations were this good, it would clear up a lot of confusion. So let's move to Jacob Truba. Do you think he got enough attention in this game? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that the spotlight was on him a little bit and, <laughs> and, and he was legal for doing it. So he managed to stay on the right side of the law. I, I think so. And, and that's the I guess the big thing with me in terms of Jacob Truba and his hits and in particular the one with with Nazem Kadri who's carrying the puck across the blue line into the zone. It looks like he was kind of glancing down quickly as he was about to try to move around Truba and that's when Truba absolutely nailed him with a giant shoulder check. Hit him right in the chest. There was no head contact. It, I, I don't know what else you could, could do if you're looking to deliver a textbook huge check. That's what Truba did. He absolutely clobbered him right there. Now, good for Nazem Kadri to pop back up and skate off to the bench, but I thought that maybe he should have been checked for a concussion after this play. Yeah, I thought so as well. I mean, a great, great hit. Visually, one of the uh, one of the coolest legal hits we've seen in a long time with Kadri's helmet popping off. But when you're looking for player safety, seeing a guy's helmet pop off and, and go flying, spinning into the air is not exactly what you want to see. So it was good. It looked like he avoided hitting his head on the ice, but absolutely one of those plays where you don't have to necessarily hit the guy's head or have him hit the ice on the way down to still have a concussion on the play. So I was a little surprised that the concussion spotters didn't phone down and, and say, you know, we just want to go for an evaluation. We want to take a look at him. There is a set of criteria that they're watching for. And they started with having guys in the stands. They also have guys in the situation room that are actually watching this on the monitors to try to see if he needs to go. And, and sometimes that's the reason for the delay between the hit. And, you know, then they come a few minutes later and pull the guy off. But I was surprised. I, I really thought for sure they'd want to at least evaluate him. But, uh, you know, solid, solid hit by Truba. And you had uh, Dubé coming in there to stick up for Kadri moments afterwards. Uh, I want to talk about the, the Dubé thing in just a second. There was another big hit by Truba also in this game. But again, delivering legal hits is what Jacob Truba does. They are big. They blow guys up occasionally. But again, he hasn't been penalized for the checks in this game. Not in this one. No, these these were legal hits. I know folks have taken exception to some of his hits before, whether it's leading with an elbow or possibly a, a later hit for interference. And he's one of those guys that wants to establish that presence. You tread as closely to the legality side of things. And sometimes you go over. Sometimes it's that last moment you're sticking your elbow out. Sometimes it's the, the puck's gone. You're already locked in to deliver that hit. And it ends up being a late hit. And maybe that's an interference. So it was good to see the big man stay on the right side of the law this time and, and make sure both of these hits were legal. But <laughs> as legal as they were, and as much as the officials were good with it, the Flames absolutely took exception. No, and especially after the Nazem Kadri hit, that's when Dylan Dubé came in and decided, well, we have to fight about this now, and Jacob Truba basically handed him his lunch. Now, I get the whole, we, we stick up for our team thing, and we're, we're all in this together, and if you, you know, wrong one of us, you have wronged all of us. I, I get that part of it, and I know that's why the instigator penalty was put in, but at some point, we have to understand that 
We want body contact. We want big checks. And if you act in this manner, it's going to cause guys to pull back a little bit. And maybe we aren't going to have the body contact that we're looking for in the game. And the other possibility is, and I heard Ed Olchek mention this the other night on the, on the game, said maybe we need to reevaluate the instigator penalty and it needs to be more severe. Maybe it's a double minor. Maybe the player gets thrown out for initiating a fight like this. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I don't know that I'd be against it either. I mean, I think you look at the situations and, and when the officials apply it, and they probably could call quite a few more instigator penalties than they do today. As the penalty is currently written, plenty of situations come up where you've got a clean hit. The guy comes over to challenge the hitter on the play and they drop the gloves. And in any of those cases, that follows the NHL rule for instigating. And, you know, we, we've laughed at it before, Todd, with how the actual rule is written. <laughs> Whether it's a menacing posture or looking to avenge a hit earlier in the game or even in the season, those are considerations for when the officials can call an instigator penalty. I think the minor penalty is good the way it is if it's called consistently. I mean, it was nice to see it called in this situation. This was clearly an instance where we had the Flames instigating a fight after a legal hit. And again, I've also heard people mention that Maybe it depends if it's a clean hit or not. And I think you can't put that on the players to decide. You can't leave it up to them to say, well, that was a dirty hit, so we're not going to give you an instigator penalty here. I think you've got the hit. You have to trust that the officials will address it, and, and you hope that they will. They're watching the play. You've got all four guys watching because if it is potentially a major match penalty, the linesman can report that as well, and then they have the benefit of replay if they call something on the ice. So I think the players have to leave it up to the officials. I think if you call it, and I'm glad that Sutherland and Schrader did, I think that was a clear instance of it. I think you probably could have handed out a second one in this game. But I think if they start there by calling it consistently, you might see that the, the message getting delivered to the players of not wanting to put your team shorthanded. You want to stick up for your teammates, but if you know every time you go after a guy for a hit, yes, you want to get the momentum back and you want to offset any, any burst that that team has from delivering that big body check. But Man, if, if I knew I was going to put my team shorthanded, even if it was two minutes, I think just calling it consistently would be a good start. You don't have to change the rule book to make that happen. It's already there. It's just the, the league standard and what they need to look at for instigating. So I don't think Olchek's wrong, but I think we can start with calling what we've got and then go from there. More instigators. I like that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's, there's another game situation. And funnily enough, in the same game, it was like, this could be a case study, this whole game, perhaps for the future scouting. Best the game of the uh, year. Yes. Yeah, it was. And I, and I think that's, that seems to be the unanimous choice. And this one though, doesn't have to do with the body check. It has to do with how a puck crossed the goal line. It was a goal scored by Andrew Majapani of the Flames, and it was reviewed Yaroslav Halak was convinced that the puck was kicked in. After reviewing it, it was deemed to have been directed, but not kicked in. Now, funnily enough, not everyone was pleased with that decision. I watched it a few times. I watched every angle I think that I had available. And I, th I think much like goalie interference is this is subject to the opinion of those making the call. And honestly, I could have seen this one go either way. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Todd. And, and the league has certainly loosened up the rules around kicking pucks and, and pucks deflected off of skates. That being said, I, I saw this one. I wasn't sure at first, saw the replay and said, this one's going to count because 
it really comes down to that distinct kicking motion. And yes, Mangiapani moved his foot. He, he definitely moved his foot from back to front. And you could see his foot moving towards the goal when the puck hit it. But what the league looks at, and, and we joked on Twitter saying it's really physics and vectors and all these calculations that the Situation Room <laughs> is doing to figure out influence. It's, it, it comes down to, and this was consistent with other kicked goals, it comes down to, did his foot propel the puck in the net? So if we look at extremes of it, right? If he's standing there, the puck goes off of him and in and he's not moving, that's a goal every time. If the puck is still sitting in the crease and he kicks it in the net, we know that's no goal every time. So it's figuring out where the line is of how much did his forward momentum, how much did his skate movement actually propel the puck in? And in this case, he was moving his skate, but as he was moving it, the puck deflected off the side and in. So it really didn't push the puck in as much as it directed it. Yes, his skate was moving. Yes, there was a, a motion forward, but the league has really tightened up to limit that distinct kicking motion to a kick that propels the puck in. I don't know if that will result in a rule book change, but it certainly has resulted in a, a change in interpretation. So this one's consistent. This is where we've seen that line. I mean, we saw goals last year that were waved off where Blake Coleman kicked it in and you could see that there was a kicking motion and the puck was going one way and this propelled it in a different direction. But with a deflection coming in, even if your skate's moving, even if it's off the ice, it's a good goal. So not surprised there, but this this is one of those times when it makes people bring up the argument of do we either want to not allow goals off skates or do we want to do what the WHL does and say, as long as your foot's not in the crease, we will let you kick it in. Uh, yes. And if and I'm trying to figure a physics reference here, but if there's enough <laughs> centrifugal force to yeah. to uh, continue the momentum off the skate and in, if, if, if it deflects it just as it would, it would deflect off a player and in, it's not accelerated by the players, yeah. maybe you're, a way to think about you're it. You're on the right track there. I think we'll, we'll just have to get when we go for these explanations. Sometimes we need the situation room. Sometimes we need the refs and maybe we need an NHL physicist on staff to just <laughs> tell us what was the angular momentum of the puck. <laughs> Every action has an equal and opposite <laughs> reaction, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get back to Jamie Ben of the Dallas Stars. We acknowledged his 1,000th game a, a while ago. And again, congratulations. But there was, there was a point that Jamie Ben and Ryan Hartman kind of came together out on the ice and it sort of turned into a good old-fashioned wrestling match between the two. And Ben had Hartman in a headlock at one point. And this goes on and on and on. And... Uh, so much so that referee Gislain Hebert moves in and tries to convince the two that they should separate and kind of go to a neutral corner. So, okay, it's two guys and they're involved in their own incident. It was an obvious penalty that could have been called. In fact, you could have called easily two minutes for roughing for each player. Now, I get that you don't want to do this all the time, but not calling a penalty here and... This is where I'm thinking from the public relations aspect. This is why I think fans sometimes say it's subjective or you're managing the game and you shouldn't be doing that. It would have been easy just to blow the whistle, send them, send them both off for two minutes. No harm, no foul. Everybody moves on. But you you make a statement that we're not going to put up with the nonsense. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to say what another official would do, but Wes McCauley's MO has typically been those types of moves of I'm, I'm taking both guys, no loss of manpower. You know, we're, you guys are getting matching penalties. You're both going off for this. Cut the nonsense. And that's certainly one strategy. The other is, you know, Ben removed his helmet, which is a minor penalty for roughing as it is then he has him in a headlock so you're looking at interference if you've got guys battling for the puck even if they're battling away from the play and it's not impacting the play i, I get the non-calls but 
when it gets to this level, when it escalates and you've got guys wrestling on the ice, like you said, or you've got a headlock. I think at some point you have to do more than just step in and say, hey, guys, break it up. Let's go. I think this was probably a little bit over the line. Now, that being said, you're looking at no loss of manpower on the ice. You're looking at Gislaine Bear maybe calling it even. Maybe he's yelling. We couldn't hear him on any of the replay clips, but perhaps... He's warning these guys. He's letting them know what's going to happen. I was absolutely surprised, though, that, that there was no call. I mean, that was pretty blatant. You want to let them get away with certain things here and there. But to me, this was over the line, and this was definitely deserving of a penalty. It was menacing. It, it, was, it was menacing. But uh, unfortunately, not enough to send him to the box, which I, I thought he would have deserved on the play. A couple more to finish up this edition, and both of them caused me a little bit of confusion, I guess. The Rangers-Canucks game with Philip Heedle skating up the ice, puck on a stick, empty net in front of him. He is, let's just say, obstructed from behind by one of the Canucks players. So there is no shot that goes into a clearly empty net. It should have been an easy deposit. Now, he's fouled, which often means that the goal counts, but there was no penalty shot. And there was no goal. So I'm a bit confused here as to what took place. As you described it, it was a, a situation where you had Heedle moving in on an empty net, looking to give the Rangers that insurance marker. You had Besser skating up behind him, fouls him. It's one of those situations where you have to look at the rule book. Some fans were outraged that he had an empty net. He would have scored if it weren't for the penalty. And, and that's true. He probably would have. I mean, we've, we've seen guys miss empty nets before, yeah. but this one looked like a potential slam dunk. However, for a goal to be awarded on the play, it has to meet the criteria that would normally apply to a penalty shot. So we had to see, you know, did, did Brock Besser foul him from behind? Did he have a step on him into the attacking zone? Did he have control of the puck? And I think for referee Mark Jeanette, those were the two points of concern were, did he have control or had he already lost control of the puck at that point? And was he fouled from behind or was it more to the side? And I think Besser was close enough to him with Jeanette positioned across the ice. He was on the other side of the goal net. So from his point of view, it absolutely could have looked like the two guys were side by side. And they it wasn't clearly from behind. So I'll give him the benefit there. It's a penalty. It's not enough for the penalty shot. And if it's not enough for a penalty shot, then you can't award the goal on the play. So, yes, it would have been a slam dunk goal but it doesn't meet the criteria for that goal to be awarded. So this one was the right call as much as it seemed like, boy, he deserved that goal and he, he worked hard for it. And it was the penalty that took it away. Penalties take away clear goals all the time. If it doesn't meet penalty shot criteria, you can't replace the goal. No freebies. No freebies. Nope. Not in this case. Okay. One other game to talk about Pittsburgh Penguins and the Colorado Avalanche in the third period of this game, Jeff Carter is cruising towards the front of the net and he collides with Colorado defenseman Kale McCarr. McCarr was knocked down on the ice for a couple moments. He left the game, did return. There was no penalty call on the play, but it was clearly a shoulder to the head that knocked McCarr down to the ice. And unfortunately now has knocked him out of the lineup for uh, at least the foreseeable future. No penalty. I was a little surprised that there was nothing from the league after this. I don't know that Jeff Carter was cruising, looking to lay a big headshot on Kale McCarr. I don't think that's the case here. But I don't know that this should escape without anything being said about it. Yeah, this was one of those situations that you had you had no penalty on the play, nothing called by refs Carter Sandlack and Gord Dwyer, and then nothing coming from player safety. Word was that the league felt and the officials felt at the time 
that the two players just ran into each other. And it, it did look like there was not even an attempt at delivering a hit by Carter. He's he's coming by. Uh, there's definitely shoulder-to-the-head contact, but these would be one of those situations where we have either incidental contact or when the league looks at the play and says, you know, was there head contact and was it avoidable? It wasn't really avoidable. You had Makar move into the path that Carter was planning on going. The, the two players ran into each other. There was a collision there. And, and I get not calling the penalty. I mean... You see the outcome and you see that obviously there's an injury on the play, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to call something. If you didn't see a foul, you you can't just say, hey, a guy got injured. Let me put my arm up and let me call a penalty or even let me review it. The standard for review is based on the call on the ice. So, it, you know, we don't have a standard in the league where an injured player can prompt a review. That would be one potential take on it. I still don't think it would have resulted in a penalty in this case because it did look like Carter just ran into him. It was unfortunate timing, unfortunate positioning, both on McCarr and how he was leaning forward as he went to turn and Carter mid-stride challenging for that puck. The puck went in a spot where both guys were going for it and a bad collision, but one that I, I, I can see where the league and the officials are coming from on this. Well, we'll uh, wish Kale McCarr the best and hope that he gets back in the lineup, but it does happen occasionally. Some players are taller, bigger, and stronger than others, and this is an unfortunate collision. Um, and I and I don't think that moving forward in the remaining nine weeks or so of the NHL regular season, I don't see the intensity going down anytime soon, Josh. We're done! Good job! are good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's uh, nicely done. That's good play.